Well, let me, uh, let me pray before we get started. We've got a lot to do today. Uh, would you join me in prayer? God, we just thank you so much for this time together, uh, the opportunity just to be gathered with your people. And uh, Lord, as we get ready to open up your word, as we get ready to, to, to have you speak to us, God, I pray that we would understand that we're not listening to just a, a pastor giving his opinion. But Lord, we're opening up your word and saying, God, would you, would you teach us? God, would you speak to us individually? God, I pray for every one of us that you would draw us to yourself today and that you would speak clearly to who you are and to what you've done for each and every one of us. God, we, we praise you and uh, we, we humble ourselves before you and say, God, we're yours. And we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen. I wanted to start this morning with a story. As many of you understand that this is the way it works, uh, my wife and I, we bought a house several years ago. And uh, we bought this house and we ended up starting having a bunch of kids, you know. And by the time we were getting ready to sell this house, we had five kids. And what happens when you have kids is not only do you, do you accumulate kids, you accumulate their stuff. And so we got ready to sell this house and, and we're looking, we're like, where did all this stuff come from? You're like, I mean, who, who, who bought all this stuff, you know? And so... Uh, we sold the house and we know we've got to get out here. And so we began to start making plans on, on how we're going to move out of this house. We uh, uh, figured out uh, within our life group, we had some friends. And one of my friends said, hey, you know, I've got the truck. I've got a truck and I'm going to be gone this weekend. Conveniently, so he couldn't help us move. But he said, I'm going to be gone this weekend. And he said, you know, you're welcome to borrow my truck. And you know, and actually he said, you know, me and my dad at our business, we've got a 24 foot flatbed trailer with little sides on it. And he said, you're welcome to take my truck and go pick up the trailer and, and, and use it to move your stuff. And it'll be great. You know? And I'm like, wow, that's so sweet of you, man. Thanks. I, you know, that's, 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 that's cool, you know? And so uh, it was, uh, it was the middle of January and, and my wife and I are sitting there and we're making the plans for how we're going to move, you know, and it's Friday night. The big move is going to be Saturday. And my wife says this to me, she says, Hey, Kevin, why don't you call my dad and ask my dad to go pick up the trailer and move the trailer for you? Now, let me tell you, my father-in-law, he's one of these amazing guys. He's like MacGyver. He can just do anything. He can fix anything. You know, he's, you know, he's got, you know, he's got, he lives on, on Chestnut, so he's got a little skinny little driveway just like we do. And, you know, he is so good at backing trailers up into that driveway. I mean, like, he'll sit there and be back in his tra- he'll hold coffee in one hand. He's texting in the other hand. He's got one of his grandkids on his lap, and he's still backing that trailer up that driveway with no problem at all, you know? So she's like, you know what? Why don't you call my dad? The problem is, you know, and, and I've never actually seen one of these. I've just heard about it. It's like one of these things called a man card, you know? And it's like, I'm not going to call my father-in-law and say, hey, would you come move this trailer for me? I mean, granted, my only experience in driving a trailer was I backed one up about three feet, three feet once, you know? That was my only experience. But I'm like, I'm not, not going to call. I, I got this, you know? So I drive out. I, I pick up this guy's truck. And uh, drove to where the trailer is. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. I'm backing the truck up. I backed it up just perfectly, you know. I'm like, this is, oh, man, I got this. I turn the key off. I get out, and I'm getting all the trailer hooked up. And it's, it's late. It's like 637. So it's dark already uh, in January. And, and, you know, I get everything hooked up. And I'm like, man, this is a piece of cake, you know. And then I get back in the truck, and I start the truck. And, and, and it wouldn't start. You know, so someone left a light on or something like that. So I had to call my wife and be like, hey, 
babe, uh, would you come give me a hand and give me a jump start? So she shows up, she gives me a jump start, truck's running, I'm good to go, you know. So we're driving home, and uh, Sam's already ahead of me, and I'm driving, I'm like, I'm driving across town, no problems at all. I'm like, man, my confidence is just boosting, you know, and I'm like, man, this is easy, I got this, you know. And so I, I pull up to, to our, our street, we lived on, on 24th Avenue between Lincoln and some of you. That's a semi-arterial. And so it's, a, you know, pretty busy, pretty, pretty, pretty busy street. And our driveway was this little, narrow, one-car driveway, you know? And so I'm like, all right, I got this, you know? So I pull up and pass the house, and I, and I get ready to, to back up, you know? And so, I mean, I mean, who knew? I mean, who knew that when you back up and you do a, a turn like you would normally do, that the trailer would go three times as far as you wanted it to? I mean, who, who knew that, you know? And so I'm like, I'm like, and at this point, I'm like, oh, crap, I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm in over my head. And so I'm, I'm backing up. It took me like seven minutes, and I get the, get the trailer in, out of the road, and it's like, it's like a 45-degree angle in my driveway where it's like three-quarters in my yard and only just a little bit on the driveway. And I'm like, oh, crap. And, and, and so I'm looking out the window. Because I, I want to make sure my wife and my kids aren't standing in the front window watching all of this happen. Because that would just be, you know, that would be horrible, you know. And so, you know, at this point, you know, it's middle of January. But I swear in the truck, it was like, it was like 110 degrees. And I'm just, I'm just dripping in sweat. I feel like, I, I feel like a, a pig in a, in a bacon factory. Just, just drenched in sweat, you know. And uh, so I'm like, all right, I got to start this over. So I pull back out onto the road. I pull back onto the road, and, and I'm starting to back it up again. And this little, small, dark Honda pulls up. Now, remember, this is a narrow road. And so I'm blocking the road as I'm trying to back the trailer up. And this little, dark Honda pulls up and, you know, can't get around me. So he starts honking his horn and flashing his brights at me. And I'm like, dude, I know, you know. And so... Not only was I nervous about it before, but now I got this guy who's like, you know, waving at me with only, you know, one thumb, but it's not really his thumb. And I'm like, dude, come on. So I'm, I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm trying to get this figured out. I'm going back and forth, back and forth. And then there was another guy who's out walking his dog on the sidewalk. Don't be this guy. All right. Just do not be this guy. So I'm like, my windows rolled down. I'm like, hey, dude, you can just go. I'll let you go. And he's like, nope. I'm okay. And he just stands and watches. I'm pretty sure he took his cell phone out and was like recording the whole thing. You know, you could probably find it on YouTube, you know? So I'm like, I got all this going on. And I'm like, oh man. So I, I, I finally, it took me, it took me, I don't know. I felt like it was only like 10 minutes, but it was probably like 35 minutes to get this 24-foot trailer back into my little driveway. And I got it to the point where it was mostly in the driveway, a little bit on the grass, but mostly in the driveway. And I came in, I'm like, oh yeah, I got this, you know, and I acted all cool with my wife and my kids. They're like, dad, why are you so wet? And I'm like, it's raining. It's raining. You know, and, 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 and what was funny, because guess what I did the next day? <laughs> I had my father-in-law drive the trailer. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I may have learned a thing or two. Um, <laughs> um, why, why is it, though? Why is it that we always feel like we have to do things alone? Because when I was doing this trailer thing, you know, it's dark out. Nobody's out spotting me. So I'm, I'm backing the truck up. And then I got to get out of the truck and go back and check where the trailer is. Why is it uh, that we have a tendency to want to do things on our own? Why is it that we want to close ourselves off to other people? 
I mean, we, we, we walk into a place and we kind of put on this facade, you know, like we have everything all put together. Like we have it all figured out. Like life is just rosy. And, you know, we do this when we walk in a church. We walk in a church and somebody says, and this is that, you know, awkward time when somebody's like, how you doing, man? And you're like, am I really supposed to be honest with that question? Because it's kind of like one of those formalities you just do, right? You just walk in and be like, hey, man, how's it going? And you're not really looking for the whole answer. You're just looking, oh, I'm doing good. How are you? You know, good to see you, man. And that's all you're really looking for. And so we, we, we come in to these places and we, we become these little plastic people that put this smile on our face. Everything's good. Everything's good. I'm good, man. I'm good. When in reality, underneath, underneath the covers, behind the scenes, everything is falling apart. Our world is crumbling. There are all sorts of issues, but we put on this facade. We, 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 we don't want people to know that we have any issues. We don't want anybody to be that close to us. And so we put these walls around us. We put these facades on and we say, man, everything's good. I'm good, man. I'm good. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too, man. And so then what happens is when the crap hits the fan, when, when, when things get really bad and life really begins to fall apart, people become so surprised. Like, man, Man, I never, I never saw that happening for that guy. You know, I saw him every Sunday and he always said life is so good. I never saw him falling apart. I didn't know that this would actually happen to him. He seemed like, 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 like everything was so good. How did this happen? I want to make a suggestion to us this morning. The suggestion is that our faith is a community project. I want to I want to make the, the, the statement that our faith is a community project. Absolutely, we all have individual growth and, and, and perseverance and sanctification. And these are individual things that we all have to focus on and, and that God takes care of. Absolutely. There's a personal responsibility. But I also want to point out today, and we'll, we'll make the case, that our faith is also a community responsibility. Jesus, he said a couple different statements in, in the New Testament. And the really intriguing statements, he first said in John 10, chapter 20, excuse me, John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, he said this, he said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So Jesus said this, but Jesus, that same Jesus also said this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 13. He says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So in other words, Jesus is saying this. He's saying children of God. He's saying Christians, believers, you are eternally secure in Jesus. Absolutely. We, we believe that statement. But Jesus is also saying that children, that Christians must endure to the end to finally be saved. So, so, so we have to understand that this is a both and statement. We hold on to eternal security. We absolutely believe in eternal security, but we also acknowledge the need to persevere. I begin to think about, well, how do we understand this? They seem so contradictory. How do we understand this? And I, and I thought about the story that Jesus told, the parable that Jesus told, about the different seeds that were planted on different types of soil. And how some of those seeds, they sprouted up, and they looked like they were firm, like they were sold out to Christ. And then something happened, and they withered away, and they no longer remained faithful to Christ. And so maybe, maybe there's an idea that there is a matter of, of us persevering and remaining faithful to God, that God has sown inside of us, and he's given us that eternal security, but there's also this component of persevering to the end. 
So the, 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 the focus this morning, what I want to do is I want to look and I want to answer, how do we actually do this? How do we preserve to the end? How do we remain faithful to God to the end? Specifically in relation to others. How do we fight the fight of faith day in and day out? How do we walk, walk alongside each other to fight the fight of faith day in and day out? God has appointed a means for us to fight the fight of faith, to remain faithful to him, to, to endure to the end. And, and, and the means that I want to suggest is that we develop Christian relationships to exhort one another, to remain accountable to, 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 to help each other to put on the whole armor of God. So I want to be clear about my intentions today. My intention is to motivate us to all be a part of a small group, to be a part of a, a life group. I want every one of us to be, to be encouraged and challenged to join a life group, whether that is a, a life group here at Restoration Church, whether that is a life group wherever you're from, to be connected to a body of believers, a peop, group of people who encourage you, who will, 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 will point you to make sure we remain faithful to God. Because I believe there is a component of the community aspect for all of us remaining faithful. Our text today, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23. If you need a Bible, there's an usher in the back. We can bring one up to you. Just slip your hand up. We'd love to give you a Bible. The words will also be on the screen, or if you have one of those Pixel uh, smartphones, you can get it on uh, your iPhone as well. This is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 23 is a simple yet profound example of Christian relationship. The context of 1 Samuel 23 is uh, King David is on the run from King Saul. Actually, David's not the king yet. David is on the run from King Saul. He is, he's running from place to place in the wilderness of Ziph, which is about 30 miles south of, of Jerusalem. And he's, he's really, he's trying to, David's trying to hide from the king. Saul has become jealous. And, and he thinks that David, who's just a, shre- a runty shepherd boy, he thinks that David is a dangerous rival. And so Saul's all about trying to find David to kill him. So David's on the run. David's hiding. But the story gets even trickier because Jonathan, who is King Saul's son, Jonathan loves David like a brother, like a brother from another mother. And, and, and Jonathan hears that David is in the wilderness. And what Jonathan does is he runs out and he says, I'm going to go meet David in the wilderness. I'm going to go and I'm going to find him and I'm going to spend some time with him. So that's the context. Let's read these verses. First Samuel 23 verses 15 to 18. And it says this, David saw that Saul had come to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. So this, this brief encounter uh, between Jonathan and David really teaches us at least four specific lessons that apply to us on how we help each other, how we exhort one another to fight the fight of faith. First, first one, first thing we're going to see is we're going to see that everybody needs Christian fellowship. Every one of us needs Christian 
fellowships. Now, when we start talking about David, we think about, well, well, you know, if anybody could have stood on his own, it was David. I mean, if, if, if anybody was strong enough to, to do the whole thing and to live his life on his own, man, it was, it was David. I mean, the Bible says in Acts 13 that, that David was a man after God's own heart. The Bible says in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that David killed both lions and bears. Now, I know some of you guys are like, man, that's nothing, man. I go hunting all the time. I'm like, yeah, but you hunt for Bambi and you use a gun. David had five stones and a couple pieces of leather. And that's what he used to kill lions and bears. David, as a young, scrawny teenage boy, when all of the soldiers were, were, well, when all of Israel's soldiers were afraid to fight a giant, a big bully, a thug named Goliath, David went in to fight without any armor, without a sword, without an armor barrier in front of him, just his scrawny little self, his five rocks and his strips of leather. First, Samuel says that David was such a great warrior that he killed tens of thousands of enemy soldiers. And, and, and you guys, you know all those Chuck Norris jokes? You know, that have kind of become iconic, you know? Like, like, like Chuck Norris has a grizzly bear carpet in his room. The bear isn't dead, it's just afraid to move. I mean, you've heard some of these, you know, like, 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 did you know that Chuck Norris and Superman once went into, uh, fought each other on a bet? Yeah, the loser had to start wearing his underwear outside of his pants. <laughs> King David was the kind of guy that Chuck Norris would have looked up to. King David was the kind of guy that Chuck Norris would have been like, man, that guy is awesome. So, so if anybody could have stood on his own, if anybody could have fought the fight of faith on his own, it would have been David. David was no doubt more superior than most people in strength, in intelligence, in, in the depth of theological understanding. Yet verse 16 says that Jonathan went and strengthened his hand. Sure, David was strong. Sure, David was deep. Yet David needed Jonathan. There's a man I know who once served as the assistant pastor of a church. And this guy was on fire for God. He, 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 he just felt God's call in his life. And he was just obedient and faithful. And, and it took a huge step of faith. He moved his family across the country to go to Bible college. And, and he comes back and he gets hired as the assistant pastor of this church. And I tell you, this guy, man, that's a pretty remarkable step of faith. To be obedient to God, to lead your family across the country. Yet things went south of the church that he served at. There were some poor leadership decisions by the lead pastor. And eventually this guy, this assistant pastor, became one uh, of a long line of guys who this church had been chewed up and spit out. And, and he lost his job. And it was just a tricky situation, difficult situation. But what happened is after this happened, this guy cut off his closest relationships after getting burned, he cut off other believers from his life and he put up those walls around him and said, no, no, I'm on my own. And, and he cut everybody off from his life and he, and he stood, stands on the fact that he's his own priest and he doesn't need other believers to associate with or to live life with. And see, what's sad is as he has segregated himself because he's out there on his own, is really doing his own thing, What's happened is his life has become to the point where there's really no evidence 
There's really no, you can't really tell that he actually has a relationship with Jesus because he's cut himself off completely. You know what scares me about being at that point of cutting myself off from other people? My heart. My heart. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? See, I know that when I'm left on my own, sure, I may have all sorts of theological background. I may have all sorts of experience. But I know that when I'm left on my own, my heart will deceive me. My heart will have me pursue myself. My heart will say, hey, what you're doing is good and right. And it's really wicked. Because our hearts are desperately wicked. So this is why doesn't matter doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for, for, for weeks or doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for decades. Some of you are almost approaching centuries. Just kidding. Just kidding. Whether you are a new Christian or not, every one of us needs relationships that strengthen and encourage us to remain faithful to God. I mean, do you think, do you think Satan knows that we have this need for relationships? I mean, what happens to you when you're in your deepest and darkest moments? What happens to you when you're depressed? What do you do? You put walls up. You put walls up and say, no, no, nobody's going to come in. Nobody's going to come in. I'm going to be here now. And no one's going to come in. No one's going to help me. You know, and we say, you know, somebody will say, man, just call me if you ever need anything. And we begin, Satan begins to tell these lies that, you know, they didn't really mean that. They don't really care about you. They just said that because it's one of the nice, they don't really care about you. And so what happens is Satan begins to trick us to say, when we're in those moments, and you don't need other people around you. You don't need friends to speak life into you. You don't need to have other people around you to encourage you and to lift you up. You just need to be here depressed on your own in the lowest parts, the lowest points. Satan understands that we all have that need for relationships. So the first lesson from our text is that none of us will ever outgrow our need for daily encouragement in our faith. Each of us, from least to greatest, we need brothers and sisters to strengthen our hands and to keep fighting the fight of faith. The second lesson is that strengthening a person's hand involves conscious effort. It is intentional. You don't just do it on the fly. It doesn't happen by accident. You rise and you go down to Horish. That's what verse 16 says. It says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, he rose and went down to David at Horish and strengthened his hand there. See, I think about, I think about what kind of difference it would make in our church if all of us woke up in the morning and we would plan we would plan to encourage and to strengthen someone's hand in God. I mean, Jonathan did not accidentally happen to meet David at Horish, although sometimes that happens. David was intentional. He planned to go. He planned to, to, to strengthen his brother. This is really a mark of Christian maturity, that we would build into our life intention and occasions where we have the opportunity to encourage and to strengthen someone's hand in God. 
I mean, I mean, how many of you came in today and said, I have the intention of, of encouraging this person today. I have the intention to, to say, hey, man, I'm praying for you today. I'm praying for the things that you're faced with. I know I'm going to see you today. So I want to be intentional to seek you out, to encourage you, to, to build you up. I mean, do you have a cluster of friends? Do you have a group of friends that you are committed to intentionally help each other to fight the fight of faith in this way? I mean, some of you are natural encouragers, and this is like one of your spiritual gifts, and it comes naturally to you. Praise God for you. Praise God for you. And some of you are like me, and you have to work a little bit harder, and it's not as natural. You have to work at it to make it happen. But let me ask you, how many of you, how many of you have ever had that random phone call, the random text message from a friend that said, hey man, I'm thinking about you today. I'm praying for you. I wanted to let you know I'm behind you. I want to let you know I love you. How many of you have gotten that phone call or that text and you've thought, man, that is like just perfect. That is exactly what I needed today. I mean, that is what we're talking about. The idea is that we form friendships, but not just friendships, but we form friendships for Jesus. That we all form friendships with other believers with the purpose of continually pointing each other to Jesus as our hope and our strength. Third point this morning is that we strengthen, we strengthen each other in God. The strength that we are to give each other is, is a strength in God, not in ourselves. I mean, notice that verse 16 doesn't say that David came down to the rescue. Excuse me. Verse 16 does not say that Jonathan came down to the rescue. Verse 16 does not say that Jonathan came down to, to motivate John, David's self-will and to make David feel like he's such a great guy and he can handle all of, all of this. No, he didn't tell David how awesome he is. He didn't say, man, he doesn't say, hey, David, you got to watch Dr. Phil's show on, on Thursday because it's all about running from big, nasty bullies who are really pursuing you for no reason. No, verse 16 says this. It says, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. This is the difference between Christian friendship and support and encouragement, and all other support groups and therapy groups and self-help groups. The whole point of Christian friendships is to point each other to Jesus. Not to man, but to Jesus for our help and for our strength. This is, this is absolutely key. Listen to this. Don't become dependent on those friends. Our tendency will be that when we have these friends who are so encouraging, our tendency will be that we lean on our friend and we turn to our friend when times get tough. We think, man, I'm going through a hard time. You know, I just need this one person and they'll encourage me and make me feel better. When I worked at Madison House, uh, many of you know, uh, I spent seven years working at Madison House. When I worked at Madison House, one of my greatest fears was this. One of my greatest fears is we're working with these kids and so many of these kids came from such Horrible backgrounds. Such devastation. And, and as we're going there and we're loving these kids, we're, we're pointing them to Jesus. My fear was that they would look to me and say, man, he's the savior. Man, man, he's the guy that encouraged me. He's the guy that's been my role model. He's the guy that, that's going to make the difference in my life. And my fear was if they saw me as the savior, that, they, that I, I would have failed at my job. My job was to point them to Jesus. See, their faith was supposed to be built on Jesus, not on me. 
Every one of us should be put in that spot where what is your faith built on? Is it built on another person? Is it built on your mom or dad? Is it built on your friend or is it built on God? See, the apostle Paul, he kind of spoke about the same kind of thing. Um, The apostle Paul wrote in his first letter to the Corinthians the same idea. He said that some people would say, well, I'm of Paul. And others would say, "Well, well, I'm of Apollos. And Paul would say, man, you missed the point. You're not of me. You're not of Apollos. I'm not the Savior. I'm not the one that, 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 that has the ability to change your life. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He says, we're mouthpieces. We, we planted a seed and watered it, but it is God who is the Savior. See, our job is not to be the Savior for our friends. Our job is not to, to be the one that has all the answers. Our job is to continually point them to Jesus because Jesus is the one with the answer. Jesus is the one that will solve all the problems. Look, you may be here today looking for an answer. Maybe, maybe life is falling apart all around you. You may be here today and you may be wondering what the meaning of life is. You may be struggling within your marriage, struggling at work, struggling with addictions, struggling with your children, whatever it is. I want you to hear this. Religion is not the answer. This church is not the answer. I'm not the answer. None of us here can be your answer. See, but our role here is to point you to the one answer. It is Jesus Christ. He's your answer. He's your answer to everything. He's the freedom that you are looking for. He's the purpose that you are seeking. He's he's the peace that you desperately want. He's the joy that gives you direction in life. If you have not surrounded your life to Jesus, I invite you today. He is the answer that you are seeking. Call out to Jesus. Pray and receive him as your savior. Repent of your sins. Surrender to him as Lord of your life. And today, I invite you to experience his forgiveness, to experience his love, to experience his freedom. Because I'll tell you what, our job as a church is not to be the answer, but it's to point everybody to the answer in Jesus Christ. So that is our third lesson, that Jonathan Jonathan rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And finally, we come to the last point. How did Jonathan go about doing this? How did Jonathan strengthen David's hand in God? How do we strengthen each other's hands in God? Jonathan says in verse 17, it says, And Jonathan said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, knows this. See, number four, Jonathan reminded David of the promises of God. We strengthen each other by reminding each other of the promises of God. Question has to say, well, well, how did Jonathan know that David was going to be king over Israel? Well, Jonathan and David, they they were close friends. And so it's not hard to imagine that David had told Jonathan about the event that had happened in, in, in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, when, when the, the high priest, or when the prophet Samuel came and anointed David, that he was going to be king over Israel. So the way that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God was to remind him of the promise that God had made to him so long ago. 
Saul would not succeed against David because God was on David's side. So Jonathan strengthened David's hand by reminding him of the purposes of God, of what God had already said was going to happen. And it is the same way with us. We strengthen each other's hand in God by reminding each other about the promises of God that are especially suited for each other's needs. When we know we have a friend who is dealing with, with heartbreak, we know, hey, let me remind you of who God is. And oftentimes when we can remind each other of the promises of God, it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference in the world. There's an author named Marianne Bird who wrote a memoir called The Whisper Test. She tells, she tells a story that as she was growing up from a young age, she knew that she was different than the other kids. She knew there's something different about her. She was born with a cleft palate, with a slightly disfigured face, with a crooked nose, with lopsided teeth, and she had deafness in one ear. And when she started school, you can imagine the, the, the mocking and, and the jeering that the other kids in school made about the way that she looked, about how she was different than everybody else. And when the kids, when the kids would come up and ask her, hey, what happened to you? She, she made up a story and said, well, you know, when I was a baby, I, I tripped and I fell and I cut my face on glass. Because somehow it seemed a little bit better to say it was an accident that happened after birth than to say I was born looking like this. By the age of seven... Marianne was convinced that no one outside of her family could ever love her or even like her. During second grade, she entered into Mrs. Leonard's class. Mrs. Leonard was that one teacher in the school that was the most adored teacher in the school. Everybody wanted to be in her class. But no one would come to love Mrs. Leonard as much as Marianne did. The time came for the school's annual hearing test, which was often called the whisper test. During these tests, what, what would happen is each of the kids would be called forward, and they would go stand by the back door, and they would put one hand over their ear, and the teacher would sit at her desk across the room, and she would whisper something. And the kid would then have to repeat it. She'd whisper, the sky is blue. She'd whisper, I like cats. Whatever sentence she whispered, the student was supposed to repeat it. And Marianne dreaded this because she knew this was another way that she would say, because I can't hear out of this ear, she knew it would be another way that she'd be made different than all the other kids in the class. So when her turn finally came, she turned her almost deaf ear to Mrs. Leonard and plugged the other one with her hand. And waited for Mrs. Leonard to speak. And then she heard the words that came out of Mrs. Leonard's, house, Leonard's mouth. Words that changed her life forever. She whispered softly, I wish you were my little girl. A simple reminder of a promise of God can literally change a person's life. A little promise of God can change a person's life. Do we realize the opportunity we have to be used by God to point them to who he is, to remind them of how much value that God has placed in their life? That, that sure, we go through hard times. Sure, we go through hard, hard circumstances. Sure, we deal with these different things. But we have a God who is greater than that, 
We have a God who says, it is finished. I've conquered it all. I've defeated it. And we have the ability to, to speak that kind of life into each other's lives. The call to all of us this morning is this. Let's strengthen each other. Let's strengthen one another to fight the good fight of faith. Let's make a commitment to each other. Let's make a commitment to remind each other of who God is and the value that God has placed on every single one of us. So so there's a response time to this message. Restoration Church, the way we have designed our services is, is after God's word, after the hearing of God's word, we want to have the opportunity to respond to who God is and to what God has said. We're going to have the opportunity to, to worship through in response. But part of your response today, as I, as I encourage you, make a commitment to be in a life group, to, to, to be connected to other people so that we can be encouraged to remain faithful to God and so that we encourage others so that they would remain faithful as well. Would you pray with me? God, you are a great God and we're so thankful for the opportunity to be here today to, to open up your word. God, I'm thankful that this isn't just an opinion hour, but really, God, this is your word speaking to every one of us. God, I pray that we would see your heart and the value that you place on people, that you place on relationships. God, I pray that as we talk through these things, that we would have that kind of desire to be that kind of community of believers, that we would make a community of believers a priority, that we would realize that that being a Christian doesn't mean you just come to church on Sunday morning, but it means that we are committed to your people and that we walk alongside and live life with each other. God, I pray for every one of us that we would be committed to each other. That we would be committed both to be strengthened and to strengthen others. God, I pray that we would make it all about you. That it wouldn't be about us because we're not the answer. God, I pray that we would point each other to you. That we would invite others into a relationship. And God, I pray that you would remind us of your promises. God, there are those in here today who need to hear this. That we might not have been born, born with a cleft palate, but we all have our issues. We all have our brokenness. We all have our struggles. We all have our addictions. We all have our weak spots. And God, I pray that we would be reminded of your promises. That you would say to us, I wish you were mine. I wish you would come into a relationship with me. I wish you would experience forgiveness. I wish you would experience my peace, my joy, my everlasting love, my freedom. Because it's available. Because it's available to every one of us. And we would surrender ourselves to you and come into a personal relationship with you as our Savior. God, we love you and thank you so much for meeting us here today. Lord, I pray for anybody who is struggling today. I pray for anybody that just has a weight on their shoulder. Lord, I pray as we get ready to respond through worship, I pray, Lord, that that if they'd like to pray with someone, they'd like to be able to talk through and say, would you pray for me? Lord, I pray that during these next two or three songs as we respond, I pray that they would come forward and say, Pastor Kevin, would you pray for me? 
Because, God, I really want to be used in that capacity. I pray that you would give me the opportunity and the boldness to come forward. God, I pray for each of us that we would be able to respond to who you are, that you are great, that you are worthy of all of our adoration, of all of our worship. We love you and we praise you, and we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.